listening to this podcast right now. Do you want to hear a fucking podcast about anything and everything? Yeah. Like movies, oh my music, God. television, and more? Oh my God. Well, you've come to the right place. Yes. Subscribe to Journey into Comics Network, and you get Podcastrophe, oh hosted God. by me, yes. Dick. Why not throw a couple bucks to the Patreon? It's your yes. choice. Yeah. This is a Podcastrophe. That sounds so awesome. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! For a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. I'm the man of the hour, the man with the power. Diamonds are forever. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. And what you gonna do, Andre? History beckons the macho man. Yeah. The best there is, the best there was. Austin 316 said I just whipped your ass. Two words for you. Do I have everybody's attention now? What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Journey into Wrestling. And uh, you may have noticed what's going on here. I am not your host, Nate Phillips. Uh, unfortunately, I have some bad news for y'all. Uh, the Podfather, uh, Papa Podcast, is uh, down for the count tonight. He's actually uh, battling the migraine monster this evening. So that leaves Buckles here as your co-host with the Keys to the Kingdom tonight. So we're going to have a little bit shorter of a show. Hope you guys can bear with me and listen to me blabber on solo for a little while tonight. So we have a few things to go over for professional wrestling over the last few days. We actually haven't talked since the Christmas show, which was uh, Nate and I giving our year-end awards for 2019. Hope you guys had a wonderful holiday. Good Christmas. Not a whole lot of wrestling going on over the Christmas holiday itself, but we did have a little bit over New Year's. Got to ring in, uh, myself got to ring in the uh, New Year with uh, Beyond's, I'm not going to quite call it a pay-per-view. They do show it live on the... uh, IWTV app for no additional charge, but what they would amount to a preview or a uh, pay-per-view, uh, Heavy Lies the Crown. So I got to watch, ring in the new year with a little bit of wrestling myself. But uh, if you're following wrestling, you know New Year's uh, Eve and New Year's Day, that's the lead-up into one of the biggest weekends in wrestling. Um, if you're not a big WWE fan probably the biggest weekend in wrestling and that is wrestle kingdom uh that's where we're going to start the show tonight we're going to go over a little bit of wrestle kingdom uh go over some things uh recap a little bit of aew and wwe over the last couple weeks and what they've been up to uh probably closing it out with the someone to watch in the top 10 hopefully not do too much damage to years with uh, me rambling by myself so uh but yeah get into wrestle kingdom um this was a bit notable for being their first uh, time splitting up Russell Kingdom into two days. Uh, they have been dealing over the last few years the same kind of issue that WWE really deals with uh, in their WrestleMania lineup, and that is that it is a loaded card and usually ends up being a long, long, long card. Uh, so they decided to split Russell Kingdom into two days this year. Um, and each card still ended up being about four-plus hours, which, I mean, that's a lot of wrestling to take in over a couple of days. 
but they did it really nice. They actually um, they were able to split the two days up uh, in terms of storyline with what they called the double gold dash. Uh, for those of you not following uh, New Japan, they their two main titles have always been the Intercontinental title and the IWGP heavyweight title. We'll get into this here in a bit, but they finished the show on night one, which would have been Friday, I guess, evening for us, Saturday morning, depending on what part of the world you're in. Um, they finished night one with an Intercontinental title match and then a Wrestle Kingdom, excuse me, a uh, IWGP heavyweight title match. Then the two would get to fight as the main event of day two. Basically, not quite a title unification, but the first time they've had a sole title holder. So, big, big deal. Uh, we'll just go, actually go down the card. Uh, starting on day one, or night one if you were. Uh, the other really notable event for Wrestle Kingdom this year. I mean, it's a, it's their WrestleMania. It is their biggest event of the year, so everything's notable. But the other big storyline going in was this was the last show, the last leg of the Jushin Thunder Liger retirement tour. Um, he announced his retirement uh, some months ago. Actually, I think it was towards the beginning of this year that Wrestle Kingdom was going to be his final match. So he's been all around the world doing different shows, kind of getting his uh, bucket list wrapped up, if you were. Um, and if you don't follow, if you don't follow in Japan, Jushin Liger is a legend. Uh, that word gets thrown around a lot, but he very much embodies it. He is one of the premier uh, junior heavyweights or cruiserweights, if you will. Um, kind of helped make that division or that that weight class mean something. Uh, he's been wrestling for longer than most people have been alive and really helped shape the New Japan uh, junior heavyweight division. Uh, he's done things in Mexico. He's wrestled with WWE, albeit briefly. And the word legend really does describe him. You wouldn't have professional wrestling as it is now, especially uh, lighter weight guys, without Jushin Liger. So this being his send-off is a really big deal. So we ended the show, or ended the uh, ended the Wrestle Kingdom with uh, opening his his uh, night one was his eight man, which I actually did not write all the names of the eight men down. He went with a lot of uh, legends, including um, some of his original rivals. And I'm kicking myself for not having written them all down in my notes. However, um, Liger is definitely the type that wants to go out on his shield. He is a professional's professional. So he goes out uh, in this match, and the eight-man uh, took the pin from uh, Taguchi, uh, Ryusuke Taguchi, whose name I can never pronounce correctly. Um, another one who is a kind of a legend in the lightweight division, actually used to be uh, Prince Devitt's tag team partner uh, early on, and is kind of the elder statesman of the junior division now, but uh, kind of given the rub to one of his... Uh, not quite contemporaries, but the closest he has to a contemporary in that division now. Um, great match. Again, you're looking at a lot of uh, legends in that. Um, and really, it's it's a nice send-off and about what you would expect from kind of a reti- the retirement tour and the last hurrah and getting to bring some of these guys in who are in their 50s who haven't gotten to, you haven't gotten to see very often and letting them 
kind of have one more moment in the sun with the guy that is probably the best known out of them. Um, follow that up with what's kind of become a couple tag matches, kind of a hallmark of New Japan's uh, pay-per-view structure. They always like to run in a few uh, eight-man tags, six-man tags. Don't really mean a whole hell of a lot. Sometimes they set up other matches later on. Um, I'm not really going to go over those for this card because they really didn't have any bearing on anything else. I want to get to a couple of the bigger matches on the card. Those bigger matches, as we got down the card, being uh, Finn Juice, which is uh, David Finley and Juice Robinson, versus uh, Gorillas of Destiny, uh, Tamatanga and Tangaloa. Um, story going in is that uh, Gorillas of Destiny had held that uh, their heavyweight titles, their heavyweight tag titles, rather, for a long, long time. But going into Wrestle Kingdom, they have a bit of a, a bad luck streak where they have not been successful at Wrestle Kingdom for a number of years. So you have a great tag team on a really hot streak going up against some pretty bad luck and against a team uh, in Finjuice that had just won uh, World Tag League. So the round-robin tag team tournament that New Japan holds every year that gives them that title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. And what ended up being a really good match, um, David Finley is someone who's just recently come back off injury. Uh, Juice Robinson, if you're not familiar with him, is... Uh, he was C.J. Parker in WWE and NXT, actually. Had, uh, I'm not going to say a lengthy career. He was there for a good long while, but didn't really do much in WWE until uh, NXT really hit, but then he left pretty quickly on. He wasn't going to be more than much of a jobber to the stars. Um, notably, he was Baron Corbin's uh, debut match. Um, actually, a couple highlights I love watching is the uh, just single punch that Corbin throws into uh, Robinson. He was also uh, Kevin Owens' uh, debut match. Broke Kevin, uh, Owens' nose in his first match. But he left uh, NXT, comes over to New Japan, and goes the traditional route, actually joins the New Japan Dojo, becomes what they call a young boy. They're rookies, essentially. Even though he'd been a trained wrestler, joins the rookies and moves up the ranks. Um and really does well for himself. Uh, has this kind of a flamboyant character now, uh, including what I would have to say is a very unfortunate hairstyle at the moment. Um, but notably this year won, or I should say last year, 2019, won the uh, IWGP US title from Cody uh, earlier on in the year. Had a good run with it and lost it to John Moxley uh, in his first New Japan match back at the Best of the Super Juniors final uh, earlier in 2019. Uh, so he had a really good run for himself, and then once uh, Moxley had some uh, travel issues, uh, they weren't able to really continue their feud too much other than a really nice match at the G1. Um, but his on-again, off-again tag team partner in David Finley, the two of them have been a really nice pairing over the last couple of months and won that tag tournament. They get into the title match here, have a really solid match, and end up taking the title off of uh, Gorillas of Destiny, um, which is saying something. Now, unfortunately, I don't really know what that says for Gorillas of Destiny. I don't think that's so much of a you know deep push on their count or really a big push for Finley and uh, Juice. Personally, New Japan's tag team division is not their deepest. They don't have a lot in the way of honest-to-God tag teams. Most of them are just members of different factions that have been 
kind of casually paired together for a night or two. Um, so getting an actual tag team push, that's hopefully saying something. I'm hoping they're going to use Finn Juice as a way to kind of bolster that tag team roster a little bit. Maybe bring some more in, I kind of hope. But a nice little match coming off of it. Um, and speaking of John Moxley, the next match on the card is John Moxley and Lance Archer. Uh, Storyline behind that being that uh, when Moxley beat Robinson for the uh, U.S. title back at Best of Super Juniors, um, they were scheduled to have a, a rematch later on in the year. I don't remember what the name of the event was that they were scheduled for. I want to say Dominion, but I don't think that's correct. Um, in any event, the typhoon that hit Japan prevented Moxley from being able to get to Japan to do the show. Uh, and because of New Japan's rulings on defenses, he wasn't able to defend the title. They stripped him. Lance Archer, uh, formerly of uh, excuse me, uh, Suzuki Goon, Actually, I believe he might still be in Suzuki Goon. Um, he uh, beat Juice for the vacant title at that event. Uh, Archer's getting a little bit more of a push lately uh, after a surprisingly good showing at the G1, um, kind of as something that New Japan doesn't have a lot of, and that's really big guys. Um, not to say that he is, you know, Andre the Giant size by any stretch of the word, but big by their standards. So he gets kind of a monster heel run and has some good matches. Well, Moxley finally gets his chance to come back and challenge for the title that he never lost and goes against uh, Lance Archer in a Texas death match, which is about the closest you're going to see to a full-on no-DQ TLC match in New Japan. Um, and they had themselves a very... Uh, not pretty, but definitely a violent match. Um, at one point, kind of something I've not seen in professional wrestling, um, Archer's finish is the old school Iron Claw. He calls it the EBD Claw, the Everybody Dies Claw. Just the straight up Texas Tornado Iron Claw. Um, but in this bit of a hardcore match, he pulls out a plastic shopping bag, good old Kroger bag, from his back pocket mid-match, Slaps that on his hand and goes for the claw, and is essentially attempting to commit murder in the middle of the ring. Um, so very creative spot, looked nasty, cool idea. Um, the end up finish to the match. Uh, we got a lot of chair shots. Uh, we had Moxley with the elevated paradigm shift or Death Rider, as he calls it in New Japan, the double arm DDT he's become known for. Uh, the elevated one off the side of the ring through two tables. And uh, unfortunately for Archer, these are the two uh, Japanese tables that are built of a little bit sturdier stuff than your typical uh, WWE folding tables that we happen to see a lot of. So those tables don't break easily, and Archer got himself a pretty good gash on the arm going through them. Point being, Moxley ends up winning the match and declares that he's a gambler. He's putting it all on the line. He did come to uh, he came to Japan to either leave with everything or leave with nothing. So night two, he's going to put the title on the line against Robinson. So great storyline there after a pretty solid death match um, leading up into day two. Um, I'm going to take a quick drink break sponsored by, uh, I do believe, Poor 360. I'd say Dungeons with Dudes, but I get yelled at, so I'm going to say Poor 360. 
Anywho, that leads us into the meat of day one, which is really what Wrestle Kingdom's become known for, and that's the highest quality wrestling you're going to find pretty much on the planet at times. Um, started off with uh, what might surprise a few people was my favorite match of the day um, in Will Ospreay and Hiromu Takahashi. Um, and again, a little bit of background on that. Uh, the two of them have had many, many, many matches over the years. Um, they are almost without debate, probably the two best junior heavyweights, cruiserweights on the planet right now. Um, even if you're not really familiar with New Japan, you might know Will Ospreay from a little bit of controversy a couple years ago. Uh, he had a match with Ricochet that stirred off a little bit of debate uh, whether wrestling can be too choreographed, which is actually something that got revisited earlier this year, or I should say this month. Um he is one of the preeminent high flyers in the world and is one of the smoothest wrestlers you're ever going to watch. Um, on the other side of this, you have Hiromu Takahashi, who is every bit as good and twice as crazy. Uh, I say that with all the love in the world. Takahashi has done stints with uh, CMLL, AAA, and uh, Ring of Honor as Kamitachi. Came back to New Japan after his excursion and just blew the doors off the world. Um, just daredevil as hell. Uh, fantastic cruiserweight and really as char- charismatic as anybody you're ever going to see. Um, just a fantastic guy to watch. Unfortunately, uh, about a year, year or so ago, uh, in a match with Dragon Lee, he took a bad bump. Uh, pretty much got dropped on the back of his head at one point on a uh, overhead suplex, uh, almost a, a package suplex of, of sorts, and just kind of skids across the ring on his neck and ends up with a legitimately broken neck and finished the match, uh, which is something that you can't give enough credit in the world for. The guy finished the match with the uh, Kurt Angle broken freaking neck and you'd never know he missed a beat until they mentioned afterwards that he had collapsed after the match ended and his career may be over. So we spent the last year you were really not knowing if we were ever going to see him wrestle again. And the guy's in his early 20s. So, I mean, that's a horrible thing to see. Well, uh, back at the end of World Tag League, uh, back in, I want to say, late October, early November, maybe a little bit later than that, um... He shows back up after a Will Ospreay uh, title match and starts bumping around like crazy. The guy's back. The guy's neck's healed, and he's doing everything he can to show Ospreay, hey, I'm back. I'm here again. I'm ready to go. So here we are. We have a title match at Wrestle Kingdom with a guy who has gotten his second lease on life and one of the first things he freaking does is <laughs> jump around and land on his head. Um, you see power bombs over the over the ropes, like the diving uh, sunset flip power bombs off the apron, destroyers. Um, I think I posted a couple clips to Facebook. There is a stretch in this match where 
with Takahashi on the outside of the ring, down on the floor. Osprey goes for the uh, Sasuke special. So the backhand spring, uh, almost a moonsault over the top. Lands on his feet. Takahashi catches him on the ground, goes to German him onto the ramp. Osprey lands on his feet again. Runs down the ramp at Takahashi, who's still standing next to the ring. Takahashi tries to belly-to-belly him into the ring ropes. Osprey manages to split the difference, go through the ropes, land on his feet a third time, sprint across the ring, off the ropes, into a Fosbury flop. So another handspring into a dive. All in the span of maybe four seconds. If that. Never breaking stride. Neither of the two of them have charisma that is and chemistry that is just off the charts. There are things that those two can do that I don't understand how a human body is able to do. Um, there's a destroyer hit mid-match that is just beyond ridiculous. And Takahashi ends up winning the title off of what looks to be a new finisher of his. They never gave a title for it. Looks like some kind of an odd Emerald Flosion side pile driver thing. But just an ungodly match. Um, the two of them have never had a pad match together, and this may have been the best of them. Uh, honestly, full stop, early contender for match of the year. Definitely. Um, and from there, we don't get really any kind of a break because we go into this double gold dash. Uh, with the Intercontinental title being on the line between Jay White, uh, the leader of the new, uh, the new leader of the Bullet Club, and Tetsuya Naito, and Naito is someone that, if you haven't heard of before, you definitely, absolutely should have. For one, um, he is the uh, leader for the Los Angeles. No, Los ah, I cannot talk. Los Ingobernables de Japón faction in New Japan. Um, and his story is actually kind of, is very important to Wrestle Kingdom this year. Um, Naito is a guy that's been around for quite a while. Um, but didn't, his first run really didn't get him very much. He challenged, uh, and wanted to come in, or wanted to go into uh, Wrestle Kingdom a number of years ago uh, for the title, for the main title. They ran a fan vote, and he was voted into instead the Intercontinental match, the Intercontinental title match of the night, and pushed down the card. Something that he took very, very, very hard, actually. Uh, his character wasn't really going anywhere. Great wrestler, but didn't really have much going for him otherwise and the fans had kind of turned on him so he goes to Mexico uh, part of his excursion and a partnership between New Japan and I believe CMLL and gets hooked up with a faction called Los Ungobernables the Ungovernables um, which is I believe Rouge um, La Sombra who is now Andrade in WWE uh, kind of this rogue faction in CMLL that adopted him into their group. And when he came back from his excursion, he brought that with him and called them Los Ungobernables de Japón, the Ungovernables of Japan, 
with this new kind of laid back attitude, um, doesn't care, hasn't, you know, doesn't have any, uh, I don't even know what, no scruples really just kind of this, not even a scumbag, but just doesn't care, does not give a damn about anything or anybody. Um, and it took off like a rocket. His, uh, he is one of the biggest merch movers they have. The faction is well loved. And he became one of the most popular wrestlers that New Japan had and built up a lot of momentum and lots of momentum and lots of momentum until um, a couple of years ago. Uh, he actually, excuse me, last year um, goes up against Okada in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom and the whole world thinks this is they're finally going to do it they're finally going to put it on him they're finally going to give him you know and now I'm thinking about my timeline maybe off but uh, at a recent Wrestle Kingdom he goes against Okada has the chance to really you know have that crowning achievement and they back off they let Okada keep the title and again his character kind of flounders like he's still incredibly popular but now the it's kind of creeping in that maybe new japan doesn't see him as the main guy you know maybe it's just never going to happen for him and he's been on a pretty rough streak this year and gets gets into the face of jay white and wants this wants to be back in the in the main event of wrestle kingdom that's always been his dream and at the beginning of this year, he even said, I want to go to, to Wrestle Kingdom and I want to have the Intercontinental title. I want to have the, uh, the heavyweight title. I want to be the one to do it. I want to make history. It's my destiny. And with this double gold dash, he's kind of a late addition to it. He's going to get an Intercontinental shot against Jay White. Jay White, who's been leading the Bullet Club all year, had a brief run at the beginning of the year as... Uh, heavyweight title uh, with the heavyweight title title taking it off of uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. That's where my timeline was off. It was Tanahashi and Okada last year, so it was two years ago that uh, that uh, Naito and Okada went at it in the main event. Um, so going into this match, um, the winner is going to get the winner of the. Uh, heavyweight title match later on in the night. And we get a really long, I shouldn't say long by New Japan standards, but long by usual wrestling match standards, very technical match between Naito and White. White, who is just the absolute scumbag of New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, goes to every length possible to just destroy Naito's knee. And... Naito just guts his way through it and guts his way through it. And every hold, every shot to the knee, and the crowd being 1,000% behind Naito, no one there likes white for good reason. Um, every time it's close to a pin, you're thinking, they're not going to do it. They're not going to put it on him again. They're not going to give Naito a shot. And just guts it out, guts it out, and plays this amazing babyface character 
and for someone who's really character-wise, it's a bit of a tweener, but plays this underdog role to white, like to a T, and ends up getting the Intercontinental title, and the crowd goes ballistic because now tomorrow night, night two, Naito's going to get his shot. And that's what the crowds wanted forever, so the crowd just ate it up. However, they still had to find the other dance partner for that match, and that leads us to the main event, Kazuchika Okada versus Koto Ibushi. And I'm going to take just a quick second to give a little bit of a hot take. Um... I'm honestly not a very big Okada fan. Um, He is, full stop, one of the best wrestlers on the planet. I will completely respect that. He is a fantastic pro wrestler. One of the top three, if not one of the top overall wrestlers on the planet right now. I have a hard time getting into him because he has this tendency where his matches have to be epics, every last one of them. Um, so I want to say that I'm gonna I'm not as high on this match as a lot of people are, but by no means does that take away from the fact that this match was fantastic. Um, Okada walking in his champion, he is Mr. Wrestle Kingdom. He is the best in the world. And you have Koto Ibushi, who won the G1, um, a former freelancer, he's been around for a long time. He's done stints with WWE, with pretty much freelancing everywhere in Japan. Um, the guy looks like a Greek god and wrestles out of his mind. Um, one of the best strikers in the game. Great high flyer. Takes just uncomfortable bumps. Apparently hates his own neck. But another person that the crowd is really behind. Everyone wants to love Ibushi. Um, me personally, I was absolutely pulling for, for Ibushi because he's one of my favorite guys to watch in wrestling right now. Um, and again, being not a huge Okada fan, I definitely had a side to pick in the match. And what followed was another match of the year contender. Um, I, I almost hesitate to explain it correctly because you have this wonderful chemistry. Okada's great at emoting. Actually, I was watching a, an interview with Brian Alvarez earlier where he really describes how well the match is able to flow through just uh, the story based on Okada's facial expressions, how he goes from uh, excited to cautious to angry to desperate to whatever. And the two have a very even match up until probably about maybe the 20-minute point, 15 to 20-minute point. And that's kind of par for the course for Okada title matches. That's kind of the reason I'm not such a big fan is that it seems like they're long for the sake of being long sometimes. I feel like there's great matches, but they're all about 20 minutes before they really get cooking. And once they do, they're, I mean... Every one of them is a world beater, but you're going to be sitting there for a little bit watching all this feeling out before you get to that point. It's not for quite everybody. Uh, but the turning point in this match um, came when Okada's kind of been baiting Ibushi the whole time, kind of 
you know, trying to get him emotionally riled up so he'll get reckless and maybe throw caution to the wind and give him an opening. And he smacks Abushi across the face, kind of stiffs him a little bit. And Abushi, who's very emotive himself and wears his heart on his sleeve, turns into a great white shark. And by that, I mean you see his soul just disappear. He hits this other gear that we haven't really seen before uh, in his facial expressions where there's no soul behind his eyes. He is just dead looking in the face. And he kicks Okada in the chest and about kills him. (laughs) And punches him. And New Japan's kind of uh, hardline against you know, open or closed fist strikes. They want you to go for the forearms. He straight up closed fist decks Okada like three times. Okada is turtling up in the corner and Ibushi staring at the ref. Again, this dead expression looks like the Terminator and just starts kicking Okada in the head. And you can hear it echoing. And it, it's just ridiculously engrossing to watch the two of them. Okada, the, you know, the, the champ of all champs, is covering up for dear life, and Ibushi is just boot partying him for a couple seconds. And it's this moment that doesn't really last very long because Okada gets that gets him out of that little funk, and we go on to the finish, which is Rainmaker after Rainmaker after Rainmaker. Uh, Kamagoye's huge knee strikes. Uh, Okada, or excuse me, Ibushi gets a little cute and throws a V-trigger in and almost ends up being his undoing. And Okada hits him with what looks like a split-legged sit-out tombstone of sorts. And again, Ibushi, who hates his neck, he takes it full on the head, and it looks terrifying, and it is terrifying. Um, Into a Rainmaker, into the wind. And... The crowd at one point was actually booing uh, Okada uh, when they thought Ibushi was just going to go down. And even when the match ends, there's a lot of cheers for him. Okada's well-loved, but the crowd was just a little bit deflated. Uh, no one wanted to see Ibushi lose. But then that you get that realization that now you get Okada Naito in night two... And that story's coming full circle, and Naito's going to get his shot. That crowd kind of creeps back into it, and it sets up night two. And before we get to night two, I'm going to take another quick drink break. This one yeah, this one is going to be sponsored by uh, Dungeon Dudes. So there. <laughs> okay. So uh, moving into night two, we get the retirement match for Liger, um, which is a tag match between him and one of his old rivals, uh, Naoki Sano, and um, Hiromu Takahashi, now with the junior heavyweight title, and uh, Ryu Lee, formerly Dragon Lee, uh, in a tag match. And again, great match. Liger doesn't let up at all. And um, we end up with uh, Takahashi taking the pin or getting the pin over uh, Liger. Liger goes out like an old vet on his back, does the good, uh, does the job, does the good deed. Um, we move into a couple different matches. Uh, we have the never six man, the never, excuse me, 
never six-man tag team championship, a belt that rarely uh, gets defended. They've had it for a couple of years now, and it gets defended like maybe twice, three times a year. Uh, gauntlet match that saw Los Ingobernables, uh, which is at the time Shingo Takagi, who is a huge name to keep an eye on in the future. Uh, Evil and Bushi uh, taking those um, into a kind of a unique match. Um, New Japan has a great partnership with Rev Pro out of uh, England. Um, they've had a, a nice partnership with them over the years and uh, actually defend the Rev Pro heavyweight title on Wrestle Kingdom um, in a match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Sonata. And if you never had a chance to watch Zack Sabre Jr. match, make a point to go check him out. The guy's unique. Uh, you see a lot of wrestlers that, you know, purport themselves to be, you know, submission masters or technical wizards, whatever the case is, and legitimately so. You get guys like Brian who are among the best in the world. Zack Sabre Jr. is a purist. He is by far one of the best grapplers and one of the best submission specialists working today. The guy's built like a rubber band. He's not doesn't look like he has maybe 20 pounds to him, but just comes up with these submission holds and great you know, technical wrestling that you don't see really any place else. He's catch-as-catch-can as can be. Um, and he has great chemistry with Los Ingobernables Sonata, um, a guy you may know from his brief uh, excursion over in Impact, um, who's kind of come into his own as a great technical wrestler and a great uh, submission wrestler in his own right. Uh, with a little bit more high-flying, he uh, adopts more of the Yave, the uh, Mexican uh, submission style, uh, as compared to Zack Sabre's uh, World of Sport or Catch Catch Can. So it's kind of a difference in styles, but similar styles at the same time. It's really a nice little clash. And the two of them have a lot have had a lot of good matches over the year, uh, both in Rev Pro and in New Japan. Uh, finally getting to come to a head for this match for the Rev Pro heavyweight title, um, which is every bit what you'd expect it to be. It's a great grappling match. Uh, stands out in the card because you don't see as much. New Japan, you see a lot of strong style. It's what they're known for. You see a lot of striking. You see a lot of high flying at times. But you don't see a ton of mat submissions and grappling. And these two put on an absolute spectacle right in the middle of the show. And it's definitely worth a watch if you can find it. Um, and from there, uh, we have Sabre Jr. Ret- uh, retaining the title, which not a lot of people called uh, over Sonata. Uh, personally, I'm hoping that Sonata can spin this into getting a little bit bigger, better of a singles push in New Japan in his own right. The guy could contend for an Intercontinental title easily, if not more. He's had some great matches with Okada for the main title. Uh, so I'm hoping he comes out of this a little bit of push for himself. Um, we go from there into uh, Juice Robinson and John Moxley for the U.S. title, uh, which honestly, good match, solid match. The two of them beat the snot out of each other. Um, unfortunately, not nearly living up to the quality that they had at Best of Super Juniors. It just the I'm not going to say the novelty's not quite there, but um, just not quite what both of them have shown in the past. So, a decent match, but not great. Um, and uh, Moxley ends up walking away with the title. 
which is interesting because no one really knows or knew at the time what Moxley's tenure with New Japan was going to continue as, if he was going to stay there. Um, personally, I thought he was going to drop the belt to Juice and move back to AEW full-time, kind of end his run in New Japan right there. Um, there is still a lot of... Uh, not quite unspoken rivalry, but there's not really a much connection between AEW and New Japan, even though most people really seem to want it. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about uh, Jericho and Tanahashi later on. But Moxley walking away with the U.S. title kind of gave a little bit of credence of maybe we're going to see the U.S. title on AEW. Maybe we do have a little bit of a partnership here. So it left the door open just a little bit more, which is kind of a nice thing to see. Uh, from there, we went into uh, the never open weight title, uh, which open weight being anyone from any weight class can challenge for it. A bit of a mid card title, but usually it's just held by the hosses of New Japan, the guys who just want to beat the snot out of each other. Your guys like Jeff Cobb, Hiroki Goto. Um, I actually, my first experience was with watching, um, uh, Tomohiro Ishii and, um, uh, guys like Minoru Suzuki going at it for that never title. And you see a lot of really big, hard hitting, heavy, strong style matches. And this was no exception. This was Hiroki Goto and Kenta, uh, formerly, uh, Hideo Itami of WWE who had the kind of unfortunate run of WWE mostly injured but Kenta is uh, in his own right a legend uh, from pro wrestling Noah in Japan um, very innovative wrestler and one of the greats uh, when it comes to uh, Japanese pro wrestling in the last 10 to 15 years Brian Daniel Bryan actually patterns a lot of his style off of Kenta uh, deservedly so. He's also the innovator of the go to sleep, uh, the Basaiku knee. Uh, you see both of those in WWE today. Um, Kenta got brought back into, um, excuse me, got brought back into New Japan this year. Um, not as, uh, not as part of any real faction at the time but brought back just kind of as a singles wrestler and goes on to kind of betray his friends and uh, ends up in Bullet Club. And when he goes to Bullet Club, he does the traditional uh, heel. He doesn't care about anybody. He's just there to thumb up the crowd, doesn't care. And still doesn't really... He has a great little run with the Never Open Weight title. Uh, good mid-card heel. Probably a little too early to take it off of him. And no one really expects much from this match because Goto has a tendency to get built up right before Wrestle Kingdom, have a smash-mouth match, and lose. Like That's kind of what Goto does. He kind of comes up short when it's the spotlight's the brightest. Um... And the two have an absolute slugfest of a match. Uh, lots of heavy striking. Again, that's what the two of them do. So, just two bowls running into each other repeatedly and just beating the hell out of each other. Uh, 
And surprisingly enough, uh, Goto actually wins the thing, actually comes away with the title. Uh, a lot of people surprised to see Kenta uh, losing it. Excuse me. Um, noteworthy in them taking the belt off of Kenta, but not really noteworthy on the card, essentially. They just kind of, well, I guess they're taking it off him. Maybe they're going to have an IC run for him later. We'll see. Um, we move into the loser's bracket from the, uh, Double Gold Dash. So, Jay White versus Koto Ibushi. Um you do get to see Ibushi kind of go to that zone again, which is very entertaining, but not really much of a match here, unfortunately. Uh, the two of them, both very good wrestlers and capable of great things. They kind of fussed around with a lot of overbooking and a lot of uh, interference in this one. So you do get Jay White with uh, the, coming away with a win, but not really much of a story coming out of it. And kind of overshadowed a bit by the overbooking and the interferences from Ghetto. Um, from there, you get into the uh, co-main event, which is Chris Jericho and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Tanahashi is, for all intents and purposes, uh, more John Cena than John Cena. He is the ultimate babyface, you know, fan-beloved superhero, go-eat-your-vitamins, you know, rock star of a guy. Uh, that in a way kind of represents a little bit of the old guard of the current New Japan structure. He did win the title uh, at last year's Wrestle Kingdom uh, from Okada after winning the G1, but he is someone who's um, kind of in a Randy Orton position maybe. Like you don't expect him to get a title run very often, if at all, kind of one of the elder statesmen of the division, but still a legend in his own right. I think Randy Orton is probably a good comparison there at this point. Um, and you get him and Chris Jericho, who's had a match at the last few uh, Wrestle Kingdoms, just kind of as that attraction. He uh, very notably had a match with uh, Kenny Omega that they ran back as one of the main one of the first main events in AEW history. Um, he had a solid match uh, with Okada, uh, with Tanahashi, or excuse me, with uh, with Naito rather. So this year, kind of got to cross the name off his list and go after Tanahashi. And they didn't really do much to build this one up ahead of time. This was kind of a late addition to the card, really in the last about month or so, and. Right before, about the week before Wrestle Kingdom, uh, it got uh, intensity got on it, got brought up quite a bit because Tanahashi goes out and says, "Well, if I beat Jericho, I want a challenge for the AEW title." And like I said earlier, there isn't much of any kind of a relationship between AEW and New Japan right now. And matter of fact, what relationship is there is not really known as the best. Uh, there's still a little bit of will, it seems like, from uh, from New Japan's part uh, after seeing the Young Bucks and Cody and Omega, some of their biggest draws, all leave at the same time. Uh, so there's a little bit of ill will there, a little bit of ill will from the Bucks on how they were booked on their way out. So that relationship's not particularly warm at the moment. 
So for Tanahashi to come out and say, I want to, you know, breach that portal. I want to be the bridge between New Japan and AEW. I want to go after the AEW title if I get this win. That's saying something. And then Jericho, surprisingly enough, both in character and from the standpoint of, wow, are they really doing this, agrees to that stipulation where if Tanahashi wins, Jericho will give him a shot. And that's that's big news. That's a, Even for no build, that's big news going into this match. And it was a bit uh, surreal, a bit trippy to see Jericho come out to the ring with the AEW title and be introduced as the AEW champion. You didn't really expect to hear New Japan not necessarily playing it up, but even acknowledging it. So kind of it led, a, led it to an odd feel and some interesting, you know, interesting ideas going into this match. And it was a good match. Like, honestly, it was... Tanahashi is still capable of having great matches. He's one of the best they have for a reason. He's a legend there for a reason. Uh, Jericho, like Nate and I have talked about quite a bit before, Jericho's arguably one of the greatest of all time. You know, he's still going and still going strong. Now, he's, uh, his match quality is not quite what it was. He doesn't have quite the same style he used to. You know, he's not doing the high flying that he used to. He's kind of adopted more of a hardcore bent uh, to his matches and adopted it very well. And this was another example. There was a really nasty, nasty uh, DDT onto a table outside the barrier in this match that you kind of feel for poor Tanahashi because that table didn't budge an inch. Um, uh, unfortunately, at the end of it, uh, Jericho it did end up coming away with a win. Uh, surprisingly, made Tanahashi tap out, which I absolutely did not see coming. Um, but uh, Jericho comes away with a win, kind of puts a little bit of a damper on the uh, AEW New Japan, you know, possibly working together conspiracy theories. Uh, although he did come out after the match ended uh, during his little press conference afterwards and very heartfelt, out of character, says that he wants to see that that uh, that bridge reforged. He wants to see that connection. He wants to see them working together because there are too many good people working in both companies to have them alienated from each other. And it's a very nice sentiment to see. And hopefully uh, Jericho being as big a player as he is, maybe he can be the peacemaker instead of the pain maker in his own way. Maybe there's your, uh, there's your episode title peacemaker, not pain maker. Um, and from there we move into the main event of the weekend, the final, the title versus title. Uh, you know, we were almost an hour into the show and, uh, I've been talking about the same show the whole night. You know, we're almost an hour into Journey into Wrestling, and I've been doing nothing but talking about New Japan. It kind of felt like this going into the main event, where we've, we're now almost eight and a half, nine hours collectively into the show, finally getting the main event. And, again, my kind of distaste for Okada comes in because, well, we're nine hours in, and now we're going to have to sit through another hour-long match. <laughs> but... This one was made a bit different. Um, still, uh, I think they went close to 40 minutes. Um, the two of them, again, Naito and Okada, have great chemistry. 
the biggest change for this match and the reason that it was able to really solidify itself as a match of the night, match of the weekend to me, is how much the crowd was into it. Uh, the crowd absolutely wanted to see Naito walk away with the titles. Um, every near fall, every pin attempt, every finisher, the crowd ate it up hook, line, and sinker, and it made the match so much fun to watch. It really did. Um, the two of them went... I mean, deep into the well, deep waters. Um, Okada going right back after the knee that Jay White had torn up the night before. Um, I honestly don't want to speak too highly of the match because I want you guys to go out and watch it yourselves. It's the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. It's two of the biggest names in professional wrestling. It's two of the biggest names that New Japan has for all the marbles. And it's every bit as good as the billing should be with a, with a great crowd behind it. Um, I can't sell the match any more than that. Um, and at the end, the story finally comes to a completion and Naito actually gets the win. They finish this long, years-long story of him. Maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's not the guy. Maybe he's never going to be the guy. Now he finally, finally gets his destiny. He finally completes his dream, and the crowd just goes nuts. Um, felt great. Again, I'm a I'm a Naito fan. I'm not an Okada fan, so I was on pins and needles the whole time, hoping and praying for Naito to come out with a victory. I cheered. I got out of my seat. I scared my dog yelling. It was fun. It's a great match. Go watch it. Uh, but yeah, that was Russell Kingdom. Um, again, 50 minutes into the show, talking about one event. Over two nights, but one event. There is some, uh, there's some. there been some rumors that WWE might adopt that idea of going to two nights for WrestleMania. I don't know that it's a good or a bad idea. Honestly, I would have said prior to this weekend, yeah, it's a great idea. They've got so many people that breaking it up into a two four-hour shows rather than one eight-hour marathon probably going to be good. Unfortunately, with this show, the two nights, they did have the structure of having that double gold dash to tie both nights together and give that final main event a lot of emphasis. But it did kind of make the two nights being separate. It did feel a little awkward. Like, you did see some slowdown. Um, night two was a bit more of a... I mean, the matches are still great. Don't get me wrong, the uh, Goto Kenta, White Ibushi, Sonata Sabre, all great matches. Not quite to the caliber of night one, but overall it felt like you, it was a little bit more of a struggle to get through the whole show. You felt like you were sitting there for four or five hours. So I don't know that I trust WWE's booking to, to maintain that sort of momentum over two days. They may not be able to, to continue that momentum over an eight-hour show, Maybe they can't do it over two four-hour shows. I'm not really sure. Um, it would be an interesting interesting thing to see what they do. I think you do want to have that kind of through line uh, that ties night one and two together if WWE does want to go that route. We'll see. I'm kind of interested. Um, and really, overall... Watching Wrestle Kingdom, it's like watching WrestleMania. Uh, the spectacle's still there. Uh, the crowd is absolutely into it. The matches are all killer. 
if you get time to watch Wrestle Kingdom, please, please do. We don't talk about New Japan enough on this show. I don't get to watch it as often as I would like to, but it's definitely worth the time and effort to take down and watch it. Um, I have not, you know, gone the full route, and I've not gotten New Japan World yet. It's been on my radar. I'm always tempted to do so, but I may have to in the near future. Um, I want to see more of Naito. I want to see more Osprey. I want to see more Shingo Takagi, Hiromo Takahashi. I'll even say I want to see more Okada. Maybe he can have some shorter matches. We'll see. <laughs> um, but moving on from Wrestle Kingdom, moving on from the biggest thing of the weekend, um, WWE and AEW have still had things going on. Uh, AEW had a little bit of a lull because they took Christmas off, uh, but they did come back with a pretty solidly stacked show on New Year's Day. Um you had a four-way women's title match. Great match. Um, the other big storylines were uh, MJF giving uh, Cody his stipulations for um, for getting their match at uh, Revolution coming up. Basically, the three stipulations being that A, Cody cannot lay a hand on MJF until their match. B, Cody has to beat Wardlow, I believe, in a cage match. And C, and most interestingly, Cody must submit to, on live television, taking 10 lashes with a belt. So, kind of an interesting uh, interesting stipulation there. I'm interested to see where that goes. We haven't seen Cody's response to it yet, but we do have what MJF laid out. Uh I might have actually been a little happier. I would have liked to see them kind of stretch it out. Maybe give him one stipulation. Cody gets that. Give him another one. So maybe the first thing is you can't touch me and then antagonize him for the rest of the night. Then, well, tonight you have to beat Warlow in a cage match. Well, Cody does that. Now you have to take the lashes. But either way, it's, it presents some interesting storylines for uh, about the next month and a half of television before we get to Revolution at the end of February. Um. That women's ta- or the women's title match was a four-way between Riho, uh, Britt Baker, Hikaru Shida, and Awesome or Awesome Kong, Nyla Rose. Getting my uh, female monsters mixed up here. Um, brought on because uh, uh, Scuttlebutt is basically that Chris Statlander couldn't get out of a couple of um, prior bookings, both with Bar Wrestling and with Beyond. Uh, so wasn't going to be available for her uh, promoted title fight versus Riho, uh, which has been pushed back to uh, tomorrow night, or really tonight if you're listening to the show tonight on Wednesday. Um, she'll be getting Riho this evening. Um, but in its place, they had this four-way match that ended up being a very very solid, little uh, tight little four-way match, uh, kind of held together by Sheeta. Uh, I think she's probably the best worker out of the group. Um, but Nyla got to look like a monster. Riho got to look like an underdog. Uh, there's some fireworks between Baker and Riho after the match ended, uh, where Baker just screams at Riho about not being there week in and week out like she's been. It's a valid criticism. So a few storylines are moving forward. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, Riho can defend the title against Statlander. Uh, my heart, my money's with Statlander. That's just because I'm a fan. So, um, other big storylines from Dynamite: We had uh, the Are the Elite still the Elite in a match with uh, 
the Bucks and Kenny versus Lucha Brothers and Pac. Nothing really on the line, but a just banger of a main event to start off 2020. Um, we also had um, Jericho kind of sweetening the pot for Moxley to join the inner circle, uh, offering him 49% of the inner circle LLC, so 49% ownership of the inner circle, uh, which I didn't know you could have ownership in a faction, but eh, I'll take it. Chris Jericho said it's true, so it's true. Also offered him a brand spanking new uh, Ford GT uh, concept car, one of the like most expensive cars uh, in American production, like $500,000 sports car with a Mox vanity plate. So all these offers to Mox and uh, didn't get an answer from Moxley, but uh, we're going to sp- sp- supposedly get an answer from him uh, tonight on Dynamite. Uh, he said he wants to answer Jericho face-to-face because he's had that much respect for Jericho on a professional level. I truthfully, I think they're kind of their writing is a little off here because I don't see how Moxley going with the inner circle makes any sense whatsoever to his character. But you know, him just going full Austin and you know getting Jericho at the ring, flipping him off and hitting him with a dirty with a uh, paradigm shift, almost a dirty deeds there. Um. Hitting with the paradigm shift seems like that's almost too obvious. So I'm kind of interested to see what they play it out as. All I can say that I truly hope is they don't go full Austin. Please don't destroy the GT. Please, for the love of God, don't destroy the $500,000 car. My heart can't take that. Um, other than that, you do have still a little bit of storyline progression with Christopher Daniels, uh, which they progressed a little bit on Dark uh, this week. Uh, of him still kind of doubting himself. I believe he has a match coming up with Guevara uh, tonight. Um, we had a little bit of progression where uh, Joey Janela, evidently now free of his demons with Sean Spears, uh, set to do an interview and immediately gets low blowed from behind by his former girlfriend, uh, super bad Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford, who just kiss and walk off. So, looks like the start of a program there. Um, Dark continued uh, a little bit of the Nightmare Collective, uh, Kong squashing people. But uh, really, this is kind of, with them taking the week off for Christmas, this was a bit of a, not quite a hard reset. They did reset their rankings for the year, which is kind of a nice thing to see. But I think we're going to really start ramping up some storylines going into Revolution very soon. So I think tonight's show should be pretty interesting for that. Uh, Meanwhile, over in WWE, it is still every bit the the chore that it has been. Uh, Matter of fact, looking at my notes, all I have for WWE is crap wedding. (laughs) And um, unfortunately, that was the biggest storyline of their Christmas and New Year's shows. Um you have Wyatt and Brian are going to go for the uh, for the title at the Rumble. Seth Rollins and uh, Kevin Owens are feuding now. They've somehow drugged Samoa Joe into it, which is an interesting pairing. They've, for reasons unknown to man, 
involved the big show last night for the first time in two years. And leading up to next week, we're going to have a quote-unquote fist fight, which even when interviewed, Big Show laughed at. So I don't know what is going on with that. Uh, But really, the two big storylines to follow for Raw, uh, Lesnar announced himself for the Royal Rumble. He's going to enter number one. Uh, They haven't said whether or not the title is going to be on the line, but... They announced it as being something groundbreaking and historic, and I kind of chuckled because they kind of had Reigns do that two years ago, so just more WWE ignoring their own continuity. Uh, We have a very nice little story with um, Asuka and Becky Lynch, um, with Becky actually showing a little bit of self-doubt because Asuka's had her number over the last couple of years, so uh, for all intents and purposes, Lynch's hell-bent on collecting one last debt, as it were, and getting that win over Asuka, which should be a great match in the Rumble. Um, We have the Buddy uh, Murphy-Alistair Black feud continuing and putting on great match after great match. But really, the big story in WWE was the wedding, and I'm going to have to center myself before I talk about this bullshit, (laughs) honestly. I have to get a drink because I'm going to... I need to wash this horrible taste out of my mouth at first. So allow me to run down the ignominious and the outright bad. The final angle of 2019... The final, the final angle of the decade. This is what WWE chose to be their parting shot for the decade. Was the Lana Lashley wedding. And if you haven't seen it. Um, best way I can describe it. I think I sent to Nate in the chat was. It wasn't quite a car crash. It wasn't quite a dumpster fire. It wasn't quite a train wreck. It was two airplanes colliding in the sky, landing on a train in a dumpster fire. (laughs) We start the proceedings with Lashley coming out to his music, no less, in a sleeveless tuxedo vest with no shirt, because reasons. You'll hear me say that a lot. Um... You have Lana comes down to the wedding march. Not her music, notably. There are folding chairs. Not the traditional metal ones, but the wooden, like you would see at a wedding, folding chairs all over the stage and the ramp because reasons. There's no one in them, but they're there. We have an actor, you know, playing the officiant of the wedding. Gets us off to a start, and thankfully it's not Eric Bischoff in a mask. And starts the proceedings off. We get the vows from the two of them. Lana has written the vows for both of them because the theme of the wedding, and it has to be all about her. Uh, She takes time to yell at the crowd every time they boo her or what her. Uh, Rusev Day chants. She screams at the crowd that, no, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me in case you didn't get the theme of the idea here. Meanwhile, everyone is expected to conveniently ignore the 
giant man-sized wedding cake in the corner of the ring. That's just, you know, Chekhov's cake there. Um, and it's bad enough. And it's going on for about ten minutes of this. And the officiant asks, you know, does anyone object to the wedding? And we get some random guy walking down the ramp and objecting. Ostensibly, he is a, you know, local pro wrestler, I would guess. I have no idea who he was. But he's Lana's first husband. And she's a terrible person. And she's just going to use you up, Bobby. She's going to move on to the next guy. Lashley answers this by, I believe, choke slamming him. Spinebuster choke slam. I'm not really sure what he pancaked the guy. Does anyone have any further objections? Now out comes Lashley's first wife. Now, to their credit, they actually did use the woman who played Lashley's first wife in kayfabe early on in his run with WWE. So nice trick bringing her back. But she comes out to object and immediately gets just smacked down by Lana. We're now almost 20 minutes in. Does anyone object? One final person comes out to object, and it's Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan, who disappeared probably four or five months ago off of WWE TV after a uh, loss to Charlotte, claiming that she was going to come back different. She was going to come back a real person and be different and be someone to be afraid of. And someone that they've done vignettes over the last few weeks of, of her coming back, almost this Emelina kind of weird she's in a bathtub makeover of Liv Morgan with a little bit of almost a psychotic bent to it like she kind of has this darker tone to her vignettes that honestly look interesting maybe she's going to come back as this Emelina style you know vixen or maybe she's just playing us all for saps and she's going to come back as crazy person we don't know it's interesting it's it's compelling And no, it's not anything because we're going to trot her out as objecting to Lana and Lashley's marriage. They're going to rope her into this now. This cornucopia of bullshit. They're going to ruin her comeback, her re-debut with this. Well, now she's objecting to the wedding. Well, surely she's objecting to Lashley. And Lashley looks at her like, I have no idea who you are. I've never... He looks at Lana and says, I've never touched this woman. And then in the most... Paul Heyman, Vince Russo, Jerry Springer, head-exploding, blood-pressure-raising moment. Liv turns and says, I'm not talking to you, Lashley. I'm talking to Lana. How could you do this to me? So we now have lesbian catfight. We have reached peak or maybe bottom of the barrel, if you want to call it that, Attitude Era, Lana and Liv rolling around in wedding cake, beating each other up, because out of the wedding cake pops Rusev. Out of Chekhov's cake comes Rusev. And we've now reached a 10-minute overrun on USA Network. This has now gone on for over half an hour. All for Rusev to pop out of the cake, which, to his credit, 
he pops out in uh, you know track pants, sleeveless t shirt, and a red bow tie, because you know for all of the other faults in this booking, Rusev is still a wonderfully funny human being to watch. And we close the decade with Liv and and Lana wrestling around in a wedding dress and cake, and. Lashley getting super kicked and the rest of us just wondering why God hates all of us and why Vince thinks this is so funny. It was painful to watch. It was one of the worst segments I've had the 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 I'm not going to say privilege but the the misfortune of seeing. And wouldn't you know it it gets lots of views on YouTube and apparently Vince loves it. So we're not done there. God won't have mercy on us and won't let the angle end. But unfortunately, uh, hopefully, if we're lucky, we'll see this play out over the next couple of weeks and mercifully be done with it. I would not put it past Vincent Kennedy McMahon to see this stretch out somehow to WrestleMania. We're already probably four months into this. Please, God, make it stop. Uh, But unfortunately, that is... That is the WWE wrap-up. Uh, NXT uh, had a interesting show uh, the week before New Year's, or really the uh, Christmas Day, as it were, I believe. Um, I think it was Christmas Day was a Wednesday this year, yeah. Um, they had a not-quite-highlight show on New Year's. But the week before, they had um, some interesting matches broadcast not just from Madison Square Garden, but also from the NXT arena as well, uh, where we got matches with Shotzi Blackheart getting a debut. Um, we saw uh, Austin Theory getting a debut against Roderick Strong in a really nice match. So actually, the NXT Christmas episode, surprisingly, was worthwhile. Uh, was definitely worth the watch, and if you get a chance to check it out, you might see a little bit of the future of uh, NXT kind of being brought to bear. Shotzi Blackheart's a big signing for them. And I've said before on the show, Austin Theory was one of my guys to watch. Had a great debut match against Roderick Strong for the US, uh, North American title. And I think could be someone they have a lot of high hopes for. So if you get a chance to check out the Christmas episode, definitely, definitely take the time to. Um, their New Year's episode was their uh, NXT End of the Year Awards, which I'm not going to go over here. I will say that uh, Gargano picked up a couple for Feud of the Year, uh, but Undisputed Era pretty well cleaned up most everything. Uh, but the rest of theirs was a glorified clip show or kind of their favorite matches of the year. I believe they showed the at least part of the Adam Cole-Johnny Gargano um Best of three match. I believe they showed the Women's War Games match. I can't remember what the third was, but... I, actually, I think it was the uh, tag team ladder match uh, that the Street Profits won the title in earlier on in the year. Uh, so they did show that. Um, should hopefully be some interesting angles coming out of this week's episode. I'm not really sure what the card is. haven't got a chance to look at it yet. But uh, NXT never fails to uh, live up to expectations, so it should be a good show regardless. Um, I do also want to give a quick shout out to a show that I got to see over the weekend, uh, over the last week. Um, I've made no bones about my enjoyment of beyond wrestling and, uh, they ran their heavy lies, the crown show, uh, on new year's Eve. 
not uh, not their biggest of shows, but still a lot of fun. Uh, good Nick Gage match. There's a great uh, Chris Statlander and John Silver match. Um, and a couple matches I'm going to get to in the top 10 as well. So if you have the IWTV app, which I continue to promote on this show, um, who knows? God knows. Maybe they'll give me some money someday. Um, but if you have the app, definitely check out Heavy Lies the Crown. Um, actually, it was a really good way to ring in the new year. Uh, a lot of fun and a great show there. Um, but I do want to go into the someone to watch. Uh, I bring up the Heavy Lies the Crown because... Uh, my someone to watch for this week uh, was in a awesome match at Heavy Lies the Crown. That's David Starr. Um, David Starr is somebody that if you any kind of wrestling that you like, if you like, you know, some crazy death matches. He's had great ones with Joey Janela. Um, if you like technical matches, he's had great matches all across England with guys like Walter and guys like Timothy Thatcher. Uh, he had arguably my favorite Orange Cassidy match ever. Uh, the guy can do it all. He's a fantastic wrestler, arguably one of the best independent pro wrestlers uh, working today. And I say independent because that's kind of his moniker. He is uh, he is very unabashedly political. He's a big Bernie Sanders fan. Uh, he is a very large proponent for pro wrestlers uh, unionizing and kind of because of that he is very fiercely independent and will not sign with any major um, major promotions Uh, he's been openly critical of WWE Uh, I don't believe he's had any talks with AEW or uh, or New Japan I would think he would be a little bit more in favor of AEW considering they are Proposing or uh, championing championing wrestlers' rights a little bit more with AEW, but he is very much very fiercely independent. Uh, so I don't expect to see him in any major promotion anytime going forward. However, if you follow indie wrestling, that's a good thing in the sense that you're going to see him all over everywhere. I've seen him in Beyond a few times this year. Um, I know he does a lot again, still overseas in England. Um, a lot of the smaller independents across the country, he, you will see him roll up just about anywhere. And anytime you get to see a match of his, it's going to be quality. David Starr is a hell of a wrestler. And uh, I mentioned in our last show, our yearly awards, um, his match with Mercedes Martinez this year uh, on Uncharted Territory is one of my favorite intergender matches I've ever seen. Um, honestly, it was my favorite women's wrestling match of the year. Um, and I can't speak highly enough of them. A couple of matches to keep an eye out for, just in way of suggestion. Uh, you can find his match with Orange Cassidy on YouTube. Beyond's put it on YouTube a couple times, and if you get to see it, it's one of Orange Cassidy's best matches, and it's a great match for Star as well. Um, his match with uh, Mike Quackenbush of Chikara fame uh, from Joey Janela's Spring Break 2 a few years ago. I believe you can probably find that on Fight TV. Uh, or WWE in live, I would say. Um, and then from this year alone, uh, he had a great run of uh, matches on Beyond at Uncharted Territory. Uh, that uh, October 17th uh, was the match against Mercedes Martinez, which is my high point. Uh, if I could recommend one match from this past year for you to go watch, that would be it. 
Uh, he had a great match with Layla Hirsch back on December 19th on Uncharted Territory. And then against Eric Stevens at Heavy Lies the Crown, had about a 20-minute just unbelievable wrestling match um, that encapsulates a lot of just everything you love about wrestling. The two of them had great chemistry, and I had not seen much of Stevens prior, but made it a great match there. So if you get a chance, go watch that as well. Uh, that was from this past week. Um, but I do want to finish up the show. I'm getting on to about an hour and 18 minutes, which I'm kind of surprised at at this point for myself. Didn't think I was going to go this long. I shouldn't doubt my ability to talk, though. Um, but I do want to finish up with the top 10. Um, and as you might not be surprised to hear, top 10 is pretty Wrestle Kingdom heavy. I spent the better part of an hour talking about it, so we won't spend a lot of time summarizing each match here, but don't be surprised to see that it is a little higher up. Uh, I do want to go with an honorable mention. Uh, actually, at Heavy Lies the Crown, they uh, finished the main card of the show uh, about probably quarter to midnight, waited until the ball dropped, and then they had their main event right at like 12.01. So the first match of 20, uh, 2020 for me uh, was a Fans Bring the Weapons tag team match uh, between Bear Country and Team Tremendous. And all four of them, fairly large guys. <laughs> um, you might suspect that from a team named Bear Country. I'm not very familiar with the two of them, both teams, just yet. But a Fans Bring the Weapons match is always going to be fun, especially in an indie show where People were bringing just crazy shit. This is coming right on the heels of uh, Christmas, so there are Christmas-themed event or items in the ring. I believe there was Legos. There was a thing of golf balls that got thrown in. I want to say there was a wedding dress wrapped in barbed wire at one point. Uh, but the highlight of the match, the reason, the reason alone they got the honorable mention, I, I texted Nate to make sure he saw it. Some absolute hero of a fan brought the giant... Iron Man Infinity Gauntlet that you can actually put your hand in and articulate the fingers, brought that as a weapon, and one of the guys from Bear Country, I believe, put it on, does the snap, and then uses it to hit somebody. So just for that, that alone is worth an honorable mention to me. Um, number 10 coming in was Roderick Strong versus Austin Theory from NXT. Again, I think that was their Christmas episode. Um it was an open challenge from Strong for the uh, North American title. And Theory really surprised everybody by coming out. I don't think anybody expected to see him. And the two of them had probably a 15-minute match and just great. I mean, at this point, Roderick Strong is a walking good match recommendation every time you see him. But Theory goes a lot out of his way to show you just how good he will be in the future. And he's still really young himself. So, again, I mentioned it earlier, good chance to watch the possible future of NXT there. Uh, number nine was the Hiroki Goto and Kenta. Again, strong style as can be. Two big bowls just beating a living snot out of each other. I'm a fan of strong style wrestling, so that one hit me pretty on the right levels. That's my number nine. Uh, number eight would be the Riho, Britt Baker, Hikaru Shida, and Nyla Rose title match. Uh not particularly long, but a very solid uh, four-way match for that title. There was a nice table spot. Um, everybody got to play a really good role in it. And really, it's nice to see a good, a very good 
women's match in AEW. Their women's division is still a little bit on the lacking side. They're bringing it along as quickly as they can. But nice to see them actually getting some focus on the show and getting a chance to do some really good work. Uh, number seven was the Elite versus Lucha Brothers and Pac match. I don't need that. That really know that that really needs an explanation. It's six of the best people in wrestling in North America, all in one match. We've seen what the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers can do. You've seen what Kenny and Pac can do. It was a barn burner, and it was wonderful. A um, little bit of development afterwards. Uh, Hangman being on commentary and kind of declining, coming down and celebrating with the rest of the elite. I think we're going to be revisiting that soon. So keep an eye on that as well. Uh, number six was Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. I talked a little bit about that earlier, uh, being the very unique match, kind of like having the Moxley death match in the middle of Wrestle Kingdom, having this technical showdown uh, right in the middle of the wrestling card was really interesting to see and a nice breath of fresh air. Again, you're not going to find bad Zack Sabre Jr. matches hardly anywhere. Uh, number five, uh, David Starr and Eric Stevens. I just spoke about that from Heavy Lies the Crown. Great, great, great indie matchup. Uh, I actually would rate it, again, higher than some of the stuff on the New Japan card. Uh, but uh, number four would be uh, Naito and Jay White from night one. The Intercontinental title match. Great selling of the knee. You know, great psychology the whole way through. Jay White plays a phenomenal heel, and Naito plays a great underdog. And again, the crowd being a big thing of it. Uh, number three, and this is probably going to be the surprise for everybody. I had number three as Okada Ibushi. Um, right now, going around, if you listen to Dave Meltzer, they will say that Okada Ibushi was the greatest match in years. It was, uh, you know, seven stars or something like that. It was, everybody wants to gush about it. For me, it ranks a little lower because it's... It's an Okada title fight. You could cut 20 minutes of it off, and it would be fantastic. And it's still a great match. Don't get me wrong. It is a phenomenal match. That's why it's this high. And likely will be considered a match of the year contender at the end of the year. I'll probably want to rewatch it with a fresh set of eyes once I've not already watched four hours of wrestling that night first. But as good as the wrestling is and as good as Okada and Ibushi are and as good as that moment of Ibushi going dead inside was it just took too damn long it's an Okada title match that became another another epic at the end of all the other epics great match watch it on its own it's probably going to be better than watching it at the end of the show um again I don't want to understell it it's still a fantastic match between two of the best guys on the planet just didn't hit me quite as much. Uh, number two, uh, Osprey versus Takahashi. I would consider this early contender for a match of the year. Um, oddly enough, match of the year, and I have it as number two on the week, so it's not even the match of the week for me. But I think over revisiting, it's going to be one that holds up very well. And Hiromu Takahashi and Will Osprey have had. Many, 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 many good matches with each other over the years. This is the best so far. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend it uh, if you get a chance to watch it. I have number one is Okada Naito, um, and really it's the crowd that did it. The storyline did it. It was a great match. It had all the other things that Ibushi and Okada and Osprey Takahashi had. Great work rate, great psychology, great through lines. Um, 
great emoting okada is wonderful again it's a bit long but great match the whole way through but the fact that the crowd was into it the entire way the story finally got paid off the moments that it created um that to me has to trump work rate the whole package together trumps one match one way or the other trumps the work rate on one match or trumps you know a couple moments on one match the whole total package has to be Okada Naito to me. So, I mean, again, it's the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. I don't see how I cannot count that as my best match. And great the, the fact that Naito won it makes it so much better. So, again, go watch Wrestle Kingdom. It'll make your day. Take a day off and watch both days. It's fun. It's great. Um, I do want to throw a quick thing out. We had New Year's Dash the night after Wrestle Kingdom. Um, not a whole lot of storylines advanced there. We are set up for uh, Naito defending both belts against um, Kenta at their next event, which I believe is New Beginning. Um, and to me, probably the other moment of the weekend other than Naito winning or Ibushi going dead-eye is uh, after the Juice robinson Zach, or uh, John Moxley match, we get teased with John Moxley and her uh, Minoru Suzuki, which should be th- could be the most violent match wrestling match anyone's ever seen. Um, I love I love John Moxley, absolutely love John Moxley, and um, in terms of ring work and violence in the ring, Minoru Suzuki is the evolved form of John Moxley. <laughs> Um, he is the Charizard John Moxley. Um, the two of them, whenever they get into it, will be just glorious, and I cannot wait to watch it. So we got a few teases there. Uh, we got a tease on Wrestle Kingdom Day 2 and a tease at New Year's Dash. I'm here for it. Take my money. Take my soul. I am here for that match. Um, but that is my top ten. Uh I do want to say thank you guys for sticking around for uh, for what's actually become an hour and a half's worth of show here of me uh, rambling on. Um, a big thank you to uh, Nate for letting me run the show solo tonight, and hopefully he's feeling better in the morning. Send your well wishes to Nate Phillips on uh, Facebook. Let him know how good you're feeling about him, and let him know you want him to feel better tomorrow morning. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. Um, do want to definitely? I'm not going to be as good as Nate at this. I uh, will apologize, but check out all the Journey into Wrestling things, or excuse me, Journey into Comics podcast, the Journey into Wrestling podcast, Dungeons with Dudes per 360, Podcaster Fee, the D List, Foodies Watching Movies. Check out all of our shows on the Journey into Comics network. We are on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. We are on the internet. You will find us, and. Again, I can't do all the plugs like he does. Come check the Patreon out. We will help you out as much as we can. Uh, we do appreciate everything you guys do. We do appreciate every listen that we get. I appreciate you guys putting up with me for an hour and a half tonight. And um, I don't know that I have a better way to end the show. So enjoy. Thanks for having me tonight. I have been Buckles. Nate and I will be back here in a couple of weeks. Later, guys. <laughs>